innovative, an architect of tech, experienced, and driver of change. These are just some of the words and phrases that I took away from my conversation with the CTO of Corner Cap Investment Council, Kevin Keeney. Kevin, lightly put, is experienced in building technology that drives impactful change for both financial services and non-financial services firms. His experience outside the industry actually allows for a unique perspective to execution and strategy inside our industry. With a background and focus in aspects of machine learning, Kevin has foresight and experience into where tech is going. And today, we discuss all of that and more with him on Bridging the Gap. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Having a good day so far. You came into the office, which I always love. And not as many people come into the office. I don't know why. Well, you know, and it, and it goes to our industry. It's right. all about the person and the connection and all those things. And being able to sit with you and, and come see your beautiful offices and say hello. You know, we've, yeah. we've uh, known each other for a little bit of time. is is a pleasure. Thank you for well, having me. Well, we appreciate it. I mean, I, the thing is, is that this desk is always just like one person and I look into the screen. So having someone, if I don't look at you every time, I have to apologize because I'm not used to it, having someone <laughs> in here. Um, so talk to me. Uh, you uh, you served you served for the country uh, a little <laughs> bit in, in, in the past. Talk to us about that a little bit uh, and your experiences there. So I, I – um, And thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. And um, I basically was uh, looking for a good way to put myself through college. And mm-hmm. I ended up uh, in the military um, and on active duty. Um, and it was a great way to get ready to go to college. I would say when I got out of high school, wasn't ready mm-hmm. to, to put forth the effort, came out of it and went, this is good. So yeah. um, I left graduate school with no student debt. So I'm indebted to them also. Yeah, and that's something that not many uh, graduates can say, yeah, unless you went to uh, I guess it was Morehouse, who recently had all of their uh, yeah, yeah all of their 40 million or something of debt um, paid off yep. right then and there. Uh, but now switching gears just a little bit, not not too much. You can make your own kimchi. I can make my own kimchi. Let me tell now, you though, how let- long does this take? It takes well the, to get everything ready and put it together takes you know, a couple hours, but then you've got the the fermenting time, so you've got some time to sit and watch it. But I'll say this about making kimchi: it is a lot like the arguments that people have about what is our core business, and should I be doing this in house? And I will say to you, H Mart makes has some very good kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a dedication to a craft to make kimchi. I mean, it it, you have to wake up one morning and just be kind of in a different place to be like, I want to make kimchi. Or so, you have to have a wife who is Korean, whose mother speaks almost no English, who taught you how to make kimchi. That's fair. That so, when she's the there, so when she's there, then you have to say, I'm going to make it to show you. So, we, we so is your kimchi, kimchi do, you, do you put your kimchi up against any other kimchi? I mean, is your is yours the best? I I would say that actually the commercially produced ones are the best. Really? Be- yeah, because they have they have figured out the magic of the temperature cycle that you go through right. to get these things to be optimally fermented. I mean, that, and so I mean, you have you have an inside track, uh, you know, given your mother in law and everything of teaching you. But how long did it take you to learn how to make your own kimchi? You know, I watched a couple YouTube articles. Uh, my my wife's mother showed me a couple things, and I just dove in and did it. And it's like a lot like learning programming languages yeah. or anything else. You look for some 
um, mentor or some guide to do it, and then you just got to try it and see how see how it comes out. Yeah, you just got to go and do, and then you iterate from there. That's right. The first one, your first batch probably wasn't that wasn't that wasn't good. that great. Yeah, no, wasn't that good, and you just get better and better. It's but but you know it's that ready aim fire thing. You don't want to aim aim aim. You need to go in and, and just try it yeah. and, and then improve. If you plan you know it, if you well. plan if you plan it out too much, then you're never going to do. And then when you go that's and right. do it, there's always going to be something that you mess up with. That's right. right. Well, that's good. And that kind of leads into our conversation about technology. I think it's the same point of view here. And so why don't you give us give uh, the listeners who are they're in the industry, they know the industry, um, is who listens to this podcast, just a little bit of background on CornerCap, what you do, what your role is, um, and kind of what y'all's focus is for, for your company. Well, CornerCap Investment Council um, is an asset manager here in the – headquartered here in Atlanta. We have offices also in Charlotte. Um, we manage assets for uh, high net worth clients and private wealth, but also institutional and philanthropic, some foundation money mm-hmm. also. But what drives a lot of our investment strategy, especially on the equity side, is our research, which is factor-based. We develop factors or attributes and rank stocks as buy-sell holds. And mm-hmm. our goal is to eliminate bias in decisions. So you go off and fly and talk to a CEO and you say, I think this company's great, I think they're a buy. We're sort of the other side of the spectrum, which is we look at that data mm-hmm. and say, how do they rank against their peers in industry, in size, in sector, in different things, Right. and manage our assets that way. Yeah, which is, I wanna get into it because the the model that y'all have created and the technology to manage that model that you've created is, is um, I think, unique relative to anybody else in the space. And so we'll get into that, I think, uh, here a little bit is uh, is that. But you know, you head up the technology strategy for this firm. This yes. is a multi, uh, over a billion dollar firm with multiple locations. Um, and so from your seat, what are really the top three opportunities you see from the technology front and having a positive impact on your company both today and as you think about strategy from the leadership team standpoint in the future? So um, that's a good question. That when I look at Corner Cap and I look at our strategic technology vision and how we move forward, the three things that come to mind are: um, first, is our movement to the cloud, which has already occurred. It's mm-hmm. not an in progress type thing, but it's always in progress because you're always doing things. So, for example, virtualization of desktops. We don't have PCs at Corner Cap. We have server based virtual machines and people mm-hmm. log into thin clients brings us security brings us other things um, our servers are located in the cloud mm-hmm. which uh, not only provides cost benefits to us but gives us the ability to scale by hitting a button and process very large data loads associated with international equities and things like that and then scale back down when we're not doing the actual process mm-hmm. so that cloud would be the one of the three elements that I would I would focus on. Um, the second one is in business process automation. Um, we see, or we feel, and I feel very strongly that you should look at the activities of the people, the employees, and how can you take away the mundane and make them more able to focus on client mm-hmm, service mm-hmm. and bring value to the firm, as opposed to I'm copying and pasting this name from this platform over to this one because I got to create that record. Mm-hmm. Let's make that occur automatically. Mm-hmm. Which, as a matter of fact, Matt is mm-hmm. exactly you know why we've been working together mm-hmm. with your product. Mm-hmm. Um, so automation would be the second piece of it, and then the third is is the whole explosion of social media. 
mm-hmm. and how um, how do you properly leverage social media, which everybody's trying to figure out. A lot of people claim to have figured out um, which platforms are the emerging winners and how do you do it in a way that is meaningful as opposed to just busy work. Yeah. I mean, these are all, I, I agree with each of those and I, I want to dive into maybe each of them a little bit more because I think that for financial advisors, that's a challenge, right? To, to figure those things out, right? To figure out the processes to automate. I would I would argue that many financial advisors don't even document their processes, so it makes it hard for them to mm-hmm. figure out the automation, right? And they don't utilize their technology that they currently have to the fullest extent to be able to iterate on that. Uh, but this is a time-consuming task for anybody. And so someone that maybe is in the in, in, not in the corner cap realm of having a CTO like you in their uh, in their corner how do you suggest to them to go about starting to to kind of hit on some of those opportunities that you see in this space right now and that you know you have opportunities for automation without big capital expense mm-hmm. for example and this is a simplistic example of it but just being able to automate uh, inbound email processing in Outlook, where you've got rules set up in Outlook Mm -hmm. to take, you're getting a bunch of of irrelevant messages that get put into a certain folder, you're getting a bunch of targeted ones that get put into a certain folder. Those kinds of things can really pay off when you're talking about um, a very, uh, you know, highly compensated portfolio manager that's spending a bunch of time managing their inboxes. Yeah. So what are the, one of the things I do to look for that low-hanging fruit is in just business process automation around your normal office applications. You'd be surprised how many people don't even utilize uh, keyboard shortcuts. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a – and you know what's amazing is that there's a study that came out from Schwab actually recently of about 1,000 of their advisors – and they asked what some of the biggest opportunities were in terms of technology. And, and of course, security was up there first and foremost. But then the second and third thing were menial task management, right? Yep. How do we get rid of menial tasks? Yep. How do we alleviate all of these technologies that we currently use in our tech stack and start getting rid of some of those things? And so you know, to you, I guess I would turn and say, you've identified some of those opportunities. What are the challenges that you face on getting them implemented and adopted <laughs> by the rest of the firms, right? Y'all have <laughs> offices everywhere. I mean, so, how do you get that adoption? Well, let me tell you a story. This is a good story. <laughs> I, this, and this, uh, this also goes to I, the credit I need to give to our founders who have a technology focus and see the value of it. Um, one of the biggest impact projects occurred before I joined the firm was in the area of client presentations. So we found that the portfolio managers were using were taking an inordinate amount of time to assemble the data needed to prepare a quarterly or annual review to go with the client. And we had a, a portfolio manager join the firm who was tasked with, until this gets automated, you now are responsible for making all of the packages for everybody else that's a portfolio manager. And this guy, a great guy, ended up building with just basic office automation of Excel, querying some data, mm-hmm. assembling these slides dynamically and scripting it all, assembled something that we we can't even estimate the cost savings to the firm. It is extremely high. Mm-hmm. And I got to give him credit for a, a, just an amazing example of something that was homegrown that solved a real problem and delivered results. Yeah. 
And I think that that's the uh, I think that that story goes to show what empowering your team when given the opportunity to have an impact on a process mm-hmm. can do. Right? It doesn't have to just come from the the vision could come from, should come from the founders like y'all have with your founders, uh, but empowering the other team members to find the solutions and determine how to imp- implement them right. is going to be a lot better than just the founder saying you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Yeah, right? Yeah. Now you have this cost savings and homegrown solution that is by far hands down better than anything you could have bought off the shelf. Well, yeah, that uh, I don't think there was something we could have bought off the shelf that did it exactly the way we wanted yep. to. So, and but I'm not a big advocate for you always have to build it. In fact, I would it goes back to the kimchi. I would go I would say that you got to be very careful that you're not stepping into areas where there is a company whose core business is to do what you are doing. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And don't try to replicate that. I mean, why Why would we, for example, decide that all of a sudden uh, payroll processing is something we want to bring in-house? It's right. No, you know, stick to your core and stick to where you add value. Right. And understand your core. And, and I think that, that you also go back to this kind of goes off the technology realm is that the vision, right? You have to have a vision. Mm-hmm. You're, you have to have the leadership that has a vision of where you're going to understand and keep you honed in on right. what your core is. Uh, you know, from your seat, and it kind of goes to getting adoption within firms, right? The challenges that people have. Why Why is our industry so slow to adopt new technologies? Uh, yeah. um, I think, this is just my opinion, but I think there are a lot of parallels to what you see in industries that have been disrupted today. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the media business might be a good analogy. And that is that there is... Traditionally, in our business, there were two elements that kept us able to be inefficient. One is the extreme value of trust. Trust trumped all. Mm -hmm. And it still does to an extent, but I'll get to that in a Mm -hmm. second. But the second was the ability to access information and data self-service. So traditionally, we, the RIA community, were the only way to get to these things that our clients were interested in. Mm-hmm. And all that's changed because they can go straight to the source now and get these same kind of information feeds without utilizing us. Mm-hmm. So we got used to a world where efficiency wasn't the most important thing to think about. And uh, I personally, I, uh, I, had a, I had a job with a major media group and saw that evolution really occurring in the radio and television and newspaper industry also where there was a monopoly there was access to information and because of that there was inefficiency in process that there was really no driver to get it out of there until something changed it dramatically and then there then you're playing catch up mm-hmm. and do you think that so so do you think that the, the 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 challenges that we have right so i mean you go back to saying as RAs, we were the access point to information, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even as RAs, we still had to, you know, 20 years ago, you know, we had to call Schwab to get balances for our clients, right? right. 25 years ago. And um, and now our clients can log in from their phone to get balance. They can get notifications on what their accounts are doing, right? Absolutely. So how the evolution has changed. But do you, th- you know, there's also this challenge of regulation and, and you did say trust. Do you think that we are positioned to be disrupted by like an Amazon or a Google? Or do you think that some of the um, those hurdles are maybe uh, create some uh, warmth around us where we're not going to get disrupted by them? We're going to get changed. Mm-hmm. Disrupted is, is a term that's yeah. sort of loaded. Fair. You know, and it's like, I don't know. But, but I don't feel strongly that 
you know, Facebook or Amazon or Google or any of these big players can just jump into this space and succeed. Mm -hmm. Because I do feel that the value of the human relationship is enormous. Mm -hmm. And um, it's more than just service. It's also concern over the well-being and the financial well-being of families. Generation after generation, Corner Cap just celebrated 30 years. Mm, And 30 years – results in clients where we have been through multiple generations of mm-hmm. a relationship. And I believe those relationships exist in business today, too. They're, they're not just with wealth management associated with private families and things like that. Um, we both know people that we have worked with over multiple roles as we move through our careers. Yeah. So um, so to answer your question directly, they may I, – I think there are going to be people that jump in and out of the space thinking, hey, this is a big market. Mm-hmm. We have all this stuff that can deliver to this market, but I believe that it does require focus and understanding of what the service and trust entails. Yeah, and I think you know I was having a conversation with a um, someone earlier today about the balance of human and technology in our business. Right, we, we've evolved from being basically a hundred percent human relationship mm-hmm. oriented. Now we're starting to implement technology more and more. And you're from the technology side, right? That is your that's your point of view. What does that balance look like for an advisor? What should if you're they're listening out there, how should they think about the balance of human and technology to create a a business that is not only efficient and process oriented, but is valuable to the end client? Because I think technology can do that as well. It can. And it's it's a good illustration to talk about um, in I think where I see it fail. Mm-hmm. And this is when you call up any number of organizations nowadays and you receive a, you know, a telephone prompt, press two to do this, press three to do that. And then they say, well, enter your account number. And you enter that account number and you hit pound and it, I've pulled up your account. And they then connect you to that. Finally, you get connected to mm-hmm. the person you want to talk to. And the first question out of their mouth is, can I get your account number, please? And you're just thinking, my goodness. Some technology project here built this monstrosity, sold the value of this whole thing, sold the efficiency of this whole thing. You made me, as the client, as the customer, go through all these hoops to get to talk to you. And at the end of this, you, you, and they probably can't even access the information. You know, who right. knows why it doesn't work? And right. I don't really care as the consumer of this, of this service. So all this is to say, we still we have to think of technology as how does it make the client experience better and that's mm-hmm. a case of it making it worse it would have been far better for in this particular case when i called in that's a, a bank of people just answered the phone and said you know how can i direct your call direct your mm-hmm. call to the right person oftentimes vendors promote solutions that aren't the best fit for the problem that you're trying to solve mm-hmm. I, I, and that's why I feel strongly that the advisor availability and them being there to talk through things is key. And also, you know, advisors looking for um, how can I add value beyond maybe what we traditionally are doing for this client. I think that you make the point very clear that technology is meant to solve a problem. If you haven't identified the specific problem that you want solved by technology, whether it's a process that you want solved or a specific part of the process you want solved – then you're not going to make it any better. No, you're not. And if you're if you're not focused on processes that make the value you deliver to your clients better, then you're probably not focusing on the right processes to get technology to do 
uh, enable your processes, your firms forward. And you know, some of those could be back office. How do you allow? How do you leverage or scale humans to be able to communicate more with clients by mm-hmm. taking off tasks off their plate, right? Um, and so I think that that is the biggest thing, and um, that you allude to, and the challenge that people have because they don't identify what the problem is. And with y'all and your technology, and I, I talked about this briefly at the beginning. What you have built from an analysis technology standpoint of uh, the for your funds and for your management of your equities, et cetera, is quite amazing. And how did y'all get to the point of building that? And, and talk us through the process of building that solution that is now uh, integral to your business every day. It, it like most um, uh, technology successes, was not a quantum leap. It was an evolution of just like what you talked about earlier. You try something, you try something, mm-hmm. you try something. And it started with the founders of Corner Cap taking an analytic approach to buy, sell, hold decisions on equities that was done literally on paper, spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. It started off with paper, evolved to spreadsheets. And then we had an iteration of our, our platform is called Fundametrics. We had an iteration of that that um, was focused on. SQL Server and some linear processing that served us well for many years. Where we were pushed to change was when we started to look at international stocks. And Hmm. the data uh, loads and the data that we needed to process went up orders of magnitude. But in addition, along the way, what we were thinking was, how could we enable researchers to try out new ideas without needing programmers to help them, Mm -hmm. which is sort of the holy grail of research is that you can quickly iterate through, I've got a hunch that this is going to pay off or that this is going to be a good indicator of value in this particular Mm -hmm. equity, but don't require them then to call somebody to put that into place and test it out, that that's a a long cycle, Mm -hmm. compress that cycle. Mm -hmm. So driven from that is what made us build Fundametrics Plus, which then is parallel computing, document database, highly scalable, cloud-based, those kinds of things. And I mean, and that gets to a point, once you start putting it in other people's hands, you start seeing other values that can be created out of it, right? Then once you give them the power, as that's opposed right. to they now then start finding those things. And um, I think that's powerful. And yeah. going on to something, and I, uh, I'm going to pry for a second. One of the things that we talked about earlier is, you know, decide when to build and when to buy yeah. or adopt. Um, and I know y'all's is different, so I know that, but maybe may, many of the listeners may not. Why wouldn't y'all just go with like a Bloomberg or a Morningstar to do what has been already built and they have all those users instead of building out this uh, solution on your own? Because we found that the factor-based approach that I described mm-hmm. earlier required us the flexibility to be able to explore in directions that some of those tools then constrained. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, you know that that there were areas we always found, and but here's the important point: we are constantly looking at the market, frankly, with an eye towards there are no sacred cows. Mm-hmm. If there was a solution out there that was cost effective, that took some of the in-house development and maintenance out of our hands, we are open to that. And mm-hmm. I think that's an important part of being in technology is that you are able to look at it. Boy, it's hard, you know when you've put all the sweat and equity into something that you've built, you also have to be able to say, you know what? I, that over there actually does the job and would be a better decision for us. Which is harder to do than to build the technology. Really That's is. much harder to do. And it's your baby. And, your baby. and you, you have spent so many times and now you're saying those are sunk costs. 
and we're just going to do X, Y, we're going to move over to X, Y, Z. That is a, a tough, tough decision. And, um, and that kind of leads into ROI, right? I always talk um, with financial advisors that are getting into technology or wanting to adopt new technology, uh, and they may be the founder or they may be on the leadership team, but they have a difficult time of putting an ROI on technology. How do you go back to your leadership team? You have a, a, a leadership that is involved with technology or wants to adopt technology, but how do you explain to them ROI of technology investments that you all make? I, I, I look at any investment in technology and I require it to, to sort of be looked at in three ways. One is what you talked about earlier, defining a problem. Does this solve a problem that we have defined and that we know is, is needs solved? Mm-hmm. But also, it has to pay off either in better service to our clients. So delivering, and that can be intangible, but it's important to at least put it out there and say, this will serve our clients better for the following reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, a better rate of return for our investors. So mm-hmm. things that promote us performing our performance as a firm. And thirdly, internal efficiency. Can I show that what we are investing in will result in freeing up resources to be used somewhere else yeah. and hopefully in returns and in client service. Yeah, I mean, at that, that point, when you're as you're talking through that, I'm in my head calculating. I mean, it's a matter of saying, here's the process. This is how long it takes us now, right? And and this is the person, they make $100,000 or $50,000 a year to do this, and this is their hourly rate, and it's taking them an hour a week to do it. Can we reduce that to 30 minutes a week, which then means that they can do 30 minutes of other things. We just scaled them. That you know, If you identify the process and you identify the metrics that go in, then you can create an ROI. Too many people just don't take the time to, and to it's, think through that. And they also, I think a lot of people are scared of assumptions. And Walk I, me through that. Well, I think that um, one of the things I've always tried to do is be good at back-of-the-envelope calculations. Mm-hmm. So somebody, let me give you an example. When... Um, one of my first consulting jobs um, when I left graduate school was to go uh, for a Fortune 50 company who was paying invoices out of a payment center for utilities, and they had thousands of locations across the country. And I was actually there helping negotiate contracts for these things, but what we came to realize was that they were spending an inordinate amount of money and time just taking these invoices through the payment process. And it was and what I found and learned there was no one was willing to say processing an invoice cost this much money. They were scared of being wrong. And to be able to just go, you know what, this could be wrong by 25%. This could be wrong by 50%, but it's not wrong by an order of magnitude. Mm-hmm. And to go with that and, and improve that assumption as time goes on and you learn more mm-hmm. is the key. And so I think a lot of people over-engineer those cost estimates. They go, okay, well, you know, yeah, they have a stopwatch and they're like, you know, they're literally, right, they're right. like trying to get into too deep of the detail of it instead of just going, all right, this cost center has a budget of this much money and this many widgets flow through this cost center. Let's just take budget divided by number of widgets right? and start there. Is it completely accurate? No. But does it allow us to then explore further the viability of other solutions, yes. Gives you a metric. It gives you something, it gives you a starting point or a baseline to start with. Um, I want to get into buy-sell here in a second, but I I, want to touch on these these last two questions. To companies out there that don't have a CTO, which are going to be the majority of listeners out there, likely don't have a CTO in their firm, 
what advice would you give them in regards to helping them make better technology decisions that have a actual positive impact on their firms? What advice could they take away uh, from you? Um, the, the first one is we've, we keep going back to it because it's so important and you identified it correctly is, is identifying the problem. And then, but the second thing I would say is you have to be very careful when somebody brings solutions to your door because mm -hmm. they are going to insist that their hammer or their saw is going to fix a bunch of problems and they're going to sell you that hammer or saw very, you know, very mm -hmm. aggressively. Mm -hmm. And so I, I encourage people to look for potentially some advice if they don't have a chief technology officer. Often in the managed services arena, if, for example, you've outsourced help desk service for your for your end users mm -hmm. or something like that. You can lump in some kind of consulting service with you. It's not a bad thing to utilize when needed. Mm -hmm. For somebody to bring in some perspective about, you know, this is a this solution I've seen it work or I haven't seen it work. Because if you just think you're going to go to the conference and visit all the tables and come back, every one of those tables is going to come to you and say, this is exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful because they're really selling their product. They're not necessarily selling the solution to your problem. They're all going to woo you. That's what they're best at. That's what they're best and, at. And, you know, the, the other option is, is that a lot of the custodians, like the Schwabs and the TDs of the world and even Fidelities of the world, they have technology consulting on They do. So if you're using them as a custodian, leveraging them is – I've heard some great responses from all three custodians of you're those teams. You're absolutely right. You know, yeah. it, you are – that is a business relationship that your firm already has. Mm -hmm. Use those resources. Um, Schwab, all three are, yeah. are outstanding organizations. And they're looking at technology already. They're looking at the road. They have, and they also can bring you the fact the, the the experience of they're talking to literally hundreds of other RIAs of your size facing the same problems. Mm -hmm. They can bring you a lot of perspective on. I, I'm not going to name a name of a company, but I've seen this problem. XYZ tried this and it didn't work out well. Mm -hmm. ABC tried this and it worked out very well. Yeah, exactly. All right, last question before buy sell. All right, this is the the crystal ball. This is the you know you. I'm gonna re re air this in ten years to see if you're right. Is where is this industry in ten years? How do we look different than we do today? Wow. Um, so if you look, if it, I do believe that there are things evolving today that are going to make a huge difference in 10 years, specifically artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. voice technology. Both of them mm -hmm. are going to be bigger and bigger players in our world. Um, that example I brought to you of entering something on your phone number, your phone number in the, in the phone in that IVR and you know navigating, um, I think all of us can agree that the Alexa-type products or the Google Home-type products, they're getting very good at just plain old voice recognition, mm -hmm. where you're not limited to saying operator, agent, and three other words. Mm -hmm. So that's going to become a bigger and bigger part of our business. Um, artificial intelligence is already playing a huge role mm -hmm. in our world. We may not know it, mm -hmm. but it is. And, and it's only going to grow more and more. Um, uh, certainly, those two – Do I am I a firm believer in virtual reality? I see it, but I, I don't yet see how it's going to apply directly to our business. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. This is just not – just fess up. 
I get sort of motion sick. <laughs> it is. It's it, like, yeah, it's like yeah, they need to get those out. You know, like when you go motion sick on a boat where yeah. they put the patches behind your ear. You they may need, need to that. put a patch behind your ear when you get into virtual reality. Those first person games, I'll try one every now and then, and I'm like, uh, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> We're spinning a little too much here. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and I think that the the point about you make about artificial intelligence is that. It's being used in the background today. Yes, it and is. I think that I think as you're alluding to is over the next ten years, people are going to start seeing it more on the front end mm-hmm. of making their experience better and better and better um, with them. So, but what you hope is that you know, and not even hope. What I believe is that that artificial intelligence will simply make our ability to deliver service to our clients and deliver value to our clients. It will enhance it. Yep. That it will just make us better able to work with people. To, to work towards financial happiness. And be able to work with more people. And work, work with, with more, more people. people right? Very important, yes. That the same advisor can now serve and highly serve more customers because that's going to drive down both our cost and the cost of the yep. client. And you're not losing the, the relationship aspect of the business. That's you're right. just because you're taking out those, you know, the 30% of menial tasks that you're doing every single day that's right. from that standpoint. All right, let's move into buy sell. This is my, uh, my my attempt at merging kind of the investment management with technology conversation. So what I'll do is I'll read four statements. We'll go in order: buy or sell, uh, buy if you agree, sell if you disagree, uh, and then you can put kind of a, a sentence or two of why you go one way or the other, and we'll see if you're a bull or a bear. And uh, <laughs> it's a non-judgment. It's a non-judgment zone. So we won't judge if you're. We'll kick you out if you're a bear, but we won't judge. All right. We'll keep you here if you're a bull, all right? That's, that's fair. Um, buy or sell. More than 50% of RIAs will have a CTO within the firm in the next seven years. Buy with a disclaimer, and the disclaimer being that that CTO may not be a full-time staff salaried employee. Mm-hmm. That CTO may be an outsourced expert that's helping to guide them through the information space. Yeah, like a fractional share, fractional CFO, yeah. fractional CTO, yeah. I agree. Um, buy or sell, and you alluded to this just a second ago, virtual reality will find its way into the way we do business within the next 10 years. A, a double down buy. You know, I'll even, I'll even, uh, I might even. Uh, double down buy. Might even uh, borrow some money to, to buy a little more on that one. So, okay. You know, it, it is already, in my opinion, artificial intelligence will only grow. And it, what's important is that people realize sort of demystify artificial intelligence. A lot of people think it's more than it is, Mm -hmm. and it really just comes down to math, and it comes down to solving problems and learning how to solve them better and better through experience. Yep. If I was to explain it in the elevator, I would just describe it as a mathematical way of solving a problem that gets better when it learns what has succeeded and failed. Yep. Yeah, And that is going to play into all kinds. It, it plays into how you answer phones. It plays into how you invest. It plays into how things are valued. Mm-hmm. It plays into a lot of parts of our business. Yeah, I agree. So artificial intelligence, I think, is a is a definite buy. So let's go on the other side of the coin, virtual reality. Is that going to find a way into the business in the next 10 years? I don't, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see how it, it augments or how it um, adds value. But let me say this. A lot of people have not seen a lot of things. Yeah. And there have been applications of technology that no one saw. And so, in a way, you have to think, is this going to evolve and serve us better? So, I agree. I think that it's going to be tough, but I will say this. Just, you just, got one? Si- just simmer on this for a okay, second, yeah, right? I'm, I'm How virtual reality can help train our employees 
and our advisors quicker and in more real life situations. Ah, Just think about this. Yeah. Think about this one day. Sitting across the desk, putting on the goggles for a new employee coming in, a new advisor, and because we have all of the data of all the different types of situations, you have a real husband and wife on the other side that you can analyze how they talk to them, how they look at them, and throw at different situations and how they deal with it uh, and the ability for that to react, right? So just simmer on no, it. I, maybe, maybe I, not. We'll see. I love that. We'll see. And that's a great way yeah. that it could fit into the business. Yeah. And and, uh, and so we'll see where that goes. Buy or sell, last one. Yep. A current technology behemoth like uh, I think Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Amazon will enter the space of wealth management in the next five years. I'm going to go with a buy, but once again, a caveat that enter the business in five years, yes. Stick around for the long term. I don't think so. Yeah. I think they'll stick, stick their toe in the business. I think they may succeed or may not succeed mildly, and then they end up getting bought out where it's a core business by one of us. Yeah, I think that I, I think you're right. I, uh, and the funny thing is, sometimes when I ask that question, people are like, "Well, they're already in the business because you know we use AWS or we use Microsoft Azure, right? They're already in the business, seeing our data." But when I say are they in the business, that means they're delivering wealth management right, services, right. which uh, I agree. I think it's going to be tough for them. Uh, they'll probably. Um, There'll be some way, but I don't think it's in the way that people think. So, buy yourself. So, you're, I mean, I'll call you a bull. We'll keep you around. We'll keep All you right. around. Well, I think good. we'll huh? keep you around. Yeah. Um, so, let's wrap this up so you can get back to, uh, you know, your your core job. Um, we'll do a guest closing thought, and then I'll do a closing thought. You know, I'll give you 90 seconds. Give the listeners maybe one or two things that they can, they can execute to push their firms forward. And for you, maybe it's something from the technology front that they can implement today or tomorrow and push their firm forward for the, uh, compared to the rest of the industry. So here's what I would, I would challenge the, the RAAs in the audience to do. Take a moment to put a piece of paper down on your desk and just scribble on that piece of paper what you spend your day doing. Mm-hmm. Not from the perspective of looking for, you know, are you working hard enough? That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to look at it and say, where are you? Where were you spending your time? Where are you actually? How much of that time is spent prospecting for clients, serving existing clients, or doing the mundane? And then when you found that out and you really can identify what your day looks like, look for ways to do the parts that don't add value as efficiently as you can. It might mean that you bring in somebody else to take care of something. It might mean that you use technology to automate something, mm-hmm. but look to get out of the of the no value add business. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that I, when I'm ever in a rut of trying to figure out why am I, my day's leaving me and I haven't mm-hmm. done anything, I go back to that every single time and document it, analyze it, and then figure out what to throw away. And there again, I, I go back to, don't make it into something that is painful to do don't like, okay, we built an application for you to log your time and put it in this category. You got to hit this pull down, hit save, cancel, all this stuff. Right. No, just scribble on a piece of paper. Yep. You know, just just figure it out. Old fashioned. Old fashioned, yep. yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. And I'm going to talk about a little bit of change over the past decade. Over the past decade, our business and our individual firms have evolved. We've been introduced to a technological innovation wave and we've been pressed on value and at times are challenged with fee compression. Given where we have come from, it's silly to believe that we won't see more evolution in our business in the way we run our firms over the next 10 years. As our business becomes more reliant on technology and our clients' expectations of the experience they have with their financial advisor continues to require more advancements on the tech front. 
A likely evolution in our business is key personnel that we will need on our teams. The idea of a CTO, a chief technology officer, is an afterthought for many RIAs today, but in the next 10 years, leaders of RIAs will become more aware of this position and the need of it. A CTO will help with the ever-increasing demands placed on advisory firms with regards to cybersecurity and protection of data, but also will be able to have a strategic vision in how we are to better integrate and build out our current tech stack, those technologies that your team uses on a day-to-day basis. As a requirement on the firm from the client gets to needing more integration and synchrony between team members, departments, and employees, experts will be needed to architect and execute on these solutions. In reality, finding this position over time will lead to founders, executives, leaders, and employees finally being able to realize an ROI on all of the technology spend they're seeing every single year. Kevin Keeney, thank you so much for your time. I love that conversation. Oh, this, it, this was absolutely a, a great way to spend the afternoon. I appreciate the invite and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Good. We'll have you back on here on Bridging the Gap. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bridging the Gap. And we'll be in your ears again next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. They said your wish could get you.